Good day. You're listening to Free City Radio. I'm Stefan Christoph in Montreal. Thanks for joining us on the program this week. I will be sharing a conversation that I had with anti-poverty organizing campaigner in Toronto, John Clark. This is the 173rd edition of the show, and it's summer 2023. It's really um, meaningful to speak with John about organizing that's going on right now in Toronto. He talks about an initiative called 230 Fight Back, where they are campaigning to oppose the construction of a luxury condominium tower right at the heart of the more working class and poor district in downtown East Toronto. The Ontario Coalition Against Poverty for decades held important actions and campaigns shaped around direct action politics, confronting injustices, and um, looking at ways to act collectively to challenge um, issues around home homelessness, poverty, uh, structural inequality. There is also a lot of very important work at uh, OCAP, the Ontario Coalition Against Poverty, in solidarity with migrant communities facing deportation from Canada. Um, so this is about 2023 and looking at questions around gentrification and how major cities all across North America, Turtle Island, are facing this violent force of gentrification. And I really think the work that John is doing and also the decades of perspectives from a grassroots level is important to consider today as this phenomenon is happening in cities around the world. So here's my conversation with John Clark, um, anti-poverty organizing campaigner in Toronto um, for Free City Radio. So I'm joined by longtime anti-poverty campaigner, activist, um, and you know someone who's been really involved in community organizing also, um, looking at sort of the complexities of bringing um, critiques about injustice in society and then translating that into actual on-the-ground campaigns. Um, so I think that's always interesting to hear perspectives from people who have those types of experiences. So John Clark is joining us. And well, first of all, hi, John, and thank you for being with us. Could you just introduce yourself briefly? Yeah, um, I mean, you, you've sort of done it. I'm a long-standing member of the Ontario Coalition Against Poverty. I was an organizer for 28 years. And uh, uh, presently, I'm uh, doing various things, but involved in a campaign against gentrification in the downtown east portion of, uh, of Toronto. And I'm also doing a bit of uh, teaching at uh, York University in the capacity of Packer Visitor in Social Justice, though I didn't even go to university they've uh, uh, they've taken me on on the basis of experiential equivalency based on the stuff that I've been doing at OCAP so that's been a very exciting development and trying to develop some sort of educational component uh, based on the uh, based on the work that I've done over the years so there's a lot of layers we could get into but maybe we can start with what you 
mentioned you're involved in right now, which is campaigning against gentrification. So this term means a lot of things, um, but basically the displacement of low-income and working-class communities that's happening in many cities. So I think it's interesting for people to hear about this. You're talking about Toronto, but obviously across North America, Turtle Island, that's taking place. Um, so I, 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 maybe you could talk a bit about the campaign, but also, you know, I think it's always, as mentioned in the intro, interesting to hear your perspective of trying to translate sort of an awareness of what's happening into an actual campaign that involves people who are affected. So I think I'd love to hear a bit about that. Right, right. Okay, well, uh, as is perhaps best, I'll, I'll start at the uh, the more abstract general level and then work down to the uh, specifics of the campaign that we're involved in. So uh, the backdrop to the thing is that Toronto is, I think, a particularly critical site of struggle in Canada with regards to an agenda that could loosely be described as the commodification of housing. Uh, It's reached uh, absolutely extreme levels. Um, You have the suppression of any kind of element of social housing today. Um, And you have an unbridled, largely unregulated, uh, anarchic in a thoroughly bad sense, uh, pursuit of of, of 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 profit based on the creation of a willful and unsustainable oversupply of upscale housing, um, and uh, an absolutely an absolute denial of any uh, right to housing on the part of ordinary working class people, even as homeowners, people are hard pressed at the moment. Uh, But in terms of the rental sector, it's becoming increasingly unaffordable. It's producing a crisis of outright destitution, uh, as well as in terms of the, the climate, urban planning kind of element, the thing is complete madness it's it's creating a, a an appalling situation and it's linked to the whole strategy um of uh, of creating greater and greater levels of inequality in society of ramping up uh levels of uh, of exploitation of removing social supports of increasing the level of of, of exploitation of working class people um it's uh, it's 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 redefining uh city space uh, along the lines of what is sometimes referred to as the neoliberal city so so that's what we're up against, uh, I think, and what is particularly, it's come to a head in the downtown east portion of Toronto, which is a neighbourhood that that was a, a very interesting neighbourhood. Uh, it was uh, in the early 1800s, uh, the, it was the, the living quarters of the upper Canadian uh, uh, family compact. So some of the most powerful people in the colony uh, actually resided in that area. In the 1840s, what you start to see is an infusion of people coming into the neighbourhood seeking refuge and survival because of the Great Famine in Ireland. And so you start to see uh, poor working class people coming into the neighbourhood and the rich 
retreated in horror in the face of this uh, of this uh, presence of the lower orders. And uh, ever since, in one way or another, the neighbourhood has been a contested site. For a long period, it was a it, there was a substantial industry, uh, high high levels of employment. Uh, there was a process of deindustrialization. It becomes uh, a, an extremely poor neighbourhood, and then in the sixties, you start to see a process of gentrification taking place, and. Uh, that has gone on to a greater or lesser degree ever since to now reach the most extreme levels with a profusion of condominiums and such like. It's leading to uh, the driving out of services, the closing down of homeless shelters, uh, the displacing of low-income tenants, um, the uh, replacement of all the shops and services and needs that reflect a low-income community with upscale boutique kind of bullshit and uh, it, it, it's it's created a crisis now uh, uh, an entity a developer by the name of Kingset Capital has outbid the city for a vacant uh, lot uh, right at the corner of Dundas and Sherburn in the very very heart of the neighborhood and so their goal is to create a 47-storey luxury condominium, which is part of just a, an infusion of these things that is spreading all the way along Dundas Street, what we might call the Dundas Corridor, coming from Young Street right out into the, into the downtown east, involving billions of dollars of investment. So... In some ways, this particular condominium represents not just a symbol, but a line in the sand. Uh, if, if they can build a luxury tower there, right where some of the most important services are, right in the heart of the poor community, it's going to gut it. So uh, an organisation called 230 Fightback, because the, the vacant lot is at 214 to 230 uh, Sherburn, um, w has been formed and we've started to campaign, mobilise and take up a struggle uh, around these questions. We've, we've, we've taken delegations to Kingset Capital, we've gone to City Hall, uh, we now have a situation where Olivia Chow is Mayor of the City, so you have an NDP uh, avowed progressive uh, uh, Mayor. Uh, and so the thing is going to play out in, in really quite fascinating and important uh, ways and it's going to be a very, very vital struggle. So that's essentially what... Uh, what uh, we're involved in here. So there's a lot of layers to what you said. One point that I have noticed hasn't been deeply explored in a lot of conversations is how the pol how the proliferation of condo towers has a very detrimental effect on people's health in terms of climate. Um, I want to get into some of the details about the campaign that you've highlighted but can you just underline that point and just talk about about that a bit well i mean i think we have a completely i mean in terms of developing uh, urban space um we have really uh, an agenda now being pursued where developers are building uh luxury condominiums um not, not always i mean sometimes there's a lot of rental situations where people move into condominiums but but an oversupply of uh, of, of of upscale housing uh, it's very dense it's very unplanned it's not coordinated there's no thought of integrating communities uh, whole populations of low income people are are 
dispersed out to whatever arrangements they can make in the suburbs or beyond. Um, there's no thought given to the implications of such a vast building project in terms of a sustainable city, uh, impact on the environment, uh, the physical infrastructure, the transportation systems. Uh, I mean, I happen to live out in the east end of, uh, of Toronto, in the eastern suburbs, in what people know Toronto, Scarborough, and I live close to the Scarborough town centre. Uh, we have a situation where the condominiums that are going up are just one after the other. Um, the physical infrastructure isn't there to deal with it. The transportation isn't there to deal with it. The light rapid transport system that exists is being closed with no replacement for six years. And, and it's just it's just a madness of unplay and unplanned, reckless greed. Uh, so from any standpoint, in terms of equitable societies, climate impacts, uh, realistic urban planning, it, 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 it's madness. It's the, it's the urban planning equivalent of melting the polar ice caps. So you mentioned um, the climate impacts. And so just, just to underline that a bit more, uh, it's very important um, angle from which to critique this massive condo expansion. This creates um, heat heat domes within the city and sort of like amplifies um, the effects of climate change. Yes, I mean, I think it does. Uh, I mean, I clearly, clearly the whole point about it is, is that, I, I mean, the whole thing, it makes a mockery of urban planning. I mean, what is needed is to sit down and say, what are these buildings that we're that we're that we're throwing up? What are their climate implications? How do we integrate them? How do we render the process sustainable? How long will these things will be standing? Uh, how much resources are being put into building them? Could there be a better way of allocating resources, of using energy, of building buildings that 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 uh, that are uh, as 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 uh, easy on the climate as possible of, of ha I mean how do we actually I mean in all areas of life whether it's production consumption urban planning there's an absolute need to think in terms of sustainability and I, I guarantee that as the as the developers build these massive condo towers in Toronto and as they build uh unsustainable housing out in Toronto's the area of the green belt around Toronto uh, the last thing that they're considering is the environmental implications or the long-term implications it's just all based on immediate short-term profit so this focus on like underlining the organizational chaos of like massive condo proliferation and obviously that rendering as you mentioned John a lot of like essential community organizations or services uh, displacing those services and the people that are supported or part of those community spaces. Um, I think often when, you know, sort of real estate development as a broader sort of reality is discussed in a lot of mainstream media circles, it's not often portrayed in the chaotic um, framework, which is very accurate that you're describing it. I just wanted to just hear a bit more your thoughts about the importance of underlining how little like sort of thoughtful and human environment centered planning is going on when all these huge towers are built because i think there's a, an assumption that there's an organizational plan when it comes to 
um, mainstream perspectives or even like mainstream news reporting on this. They might look at some unfortunate circumstances, but not like portray the situation as the chaos that you're describing it. Well, I, I mean, I think what's happening with housing and the commodification of housing is emblematic of what's happening on, on a broader scale. I mean, it's exactly the same process as continuing to, I mean, I read right now that over in Britain, uh, Rishi Sunak has just announced that they're going to max out North Sea oil. Uh, they're just going to, they're going to take all the oil they can out and, and set it out into the, the environment and damn the consequences because it will be immediately profitable. And exactly the same uh, form of activity is going on with regards to, uh, with regards to uh, the provision of housing. Uh, it's a social need. Housing is a very basic social need, but it's being pursued as a commodity on an enormous uh, on an enormous scale. And that is fundamentally destructive and, 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 and fundamentally harmful. I mean, the last thing I am is a is a is a, a connoisseur of architecture. And I don't want to try to I don't want to try to uh, I don't want to try to fake uh, credentials here. But uh, you look at these buildings that have gone up. And, and many of them are sort of quite have this sort of quirky architectural thing to them. You know, they're asymmetrical, they're irregular, they, they have these different things. And, and, and what's clear is that some developer has some notion of marketing this product. Uh, and the product is, 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 is a, 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 a high rise building that provides primarily luxury housing. And so. Everything goes into what will this look like? Uh, who will it attract? Who will buy it? Uh, what uh, gimmicks and fads and luxury items can we attach to it? There's no thought given whatsoever to what will this do to the surrounding community? What are the implications long term? Uh, where will this building be 30, 40 years from now? Uh, what does it mean for the way we're developing this vital urban space? What does it mean about the communities? What does it mean about the natural world? Uh, none of this is of any significant importance. It's all just a, a commodity for sale, just like, a, just like any other commodity. And, and as such, it's, it's, a, it's just not a sustainable. In fact, it's a harmful, it's a destructive process. So when we think about what you're describing, um, this is playing out in a number of cities uh, in Quebec, Montreal, where I live. The leader of the right wing governing Coalition Avenue at the Quebec has said, oh, well, I mean, paraphrasing, but the rental prices in Montreal are not comparable to Toronto and New York City so this means that we're behind somehow like that it's progressive to have high rents this was sort of the logic which I am mean, not lack I don't know what word to use but this was the discourse when he was talking about the implementation of this new bill to try to cancel lease transfer as a practice of solidarity between tenants um, we can think about a lot of cities I mean uh, all around the world where gentrification is happening, you know, and I've been talking to friends from Nairobi to Berlin to Johannesburg. Uh, there's this process of the commodification of housing that you're describing. Uh, now, there's this broader critique, and you talked about 230 fight back. Um, and so this campaign is very interesting in the sense that, I mean, obviously it's important for all the reasons we've been discussing, but can you talk a bit about 
that idea of the intervention and how like you know obviously this is one lot but through that campaign i i would assume you're aiming to speak about a lot of intersecting issues and bring this this to the forefront yeah i mean i i've been thinking a lot and writing somewhat recently about climate change about and and the broader environmental crisis that exists and uh, I, I do this from a from the perspective of a, of a, of a socialist analysis. I, I, I mean, I I don't think that capitalism can take humanity forward. Uh, I think we're literally in that situation. Um, and so, when it comes to the fact that the polar ice caps are, uh, are, are melting, when it comes to the fact that that the, the the forests are on fire and the cities are choking and what whatever else uh, that's I think an indication of uh, the implications of where capitalism is taking us which is really uh, you know a threat to existence um, but it also raises the question of how do we actually engage that how do we actually fight that how do we resist that and the same applies with regards to housing and urban planning and trying to challenge the commodification of housing i mean i i don't believe that we're going to under capitalism create a situation where we're going to have properly functioning sustainable healthy just uh, urban space I think we're going to be fighting uh, an exploitative and essentially irrational system as long as capitalism exists. But that doesn't mean that that we can say one day we'll have a better society, but right now we just have to sit here and take whatever filth is thrown at us. I mean, obviously we have to fight back and we have to make a difference. We have to stop uh, polluters polluting. We have to stop emissions going. We have to ensure that when the effects of climate change hit us, that there are systems in place to deal with the impacts of those things. Healthcare, uh, emergency provision, those kinds of things. We have to fight for survival needs. Well, in exactly the same way right now, uh, the, the commodification of housing is reaching crisis levels that is that, that are displacing uh, poor working class communities. And that means the only possibility is, is to think in terms of what now immediately we can do to put limits on that, to impose defeats on them, to win victories, to prevent condo towers going up, to win social housing at a given location, to actually make a difference. And we've got to think about how we intervene in that way. And primarily, it's going to be one of social mobilisation. Right? Primarily, it's going to be that those communities have got to be mobilised and they've got to mobilise seriously. Um, I don't think we can for, I, I mentioned uh, Olivia Chow, um, I don't want to, uh, you know, engage in a gratuitous attack on someone who's only been in the mayor's office for a, for a matter of days. But I think it would be naive to imagine that we've elected an NDP avowedly progressive mayor and that's it. The developers are in trouble. There's going to be this new era of social justice. That the, it's not going to happen that way. Uh, the, the, the the sort of the left opposition notion within Toronto City Council that has emerged over the last few years is that a victory is when you convince the developers to put a few more additional uh, not really affordable housing units within their latest luxury 
con condominium development or maybe add a bit of green space or, or whatever else. But the notion that you could actually build an alternative, that you could build social housing, that you could reverse uh, the agenda or even stop the agenda that's coming down is, is just totally alien. It doesn't exist. And I don't expect it to come independently from Olivia Chow. Uh, so that means the only alternative is actually social mobilisation. And it comes down to very concrete questions like what's going to happen at the corner of Dundas and Sherburn? Is this developer going to put up a 47 storey luxury obscenity or is there going to be social housing that serves the needs of the community where people can live, survive, uh, where they can live decent lives under decent conditions? Uh, and that can only be decided in struggle. So I think... The, this kind of stuff that's coming from uh, from 230 Fight Back, the kind of incredible organising that's happening amongst tenants where they're fighting rent evictions, where they're fighting impossible rents, where they're struggling for their rights, uh, the kind of fights that's being taken up even at the level of where people have been forced to live in encampments because they're, they're unhoused. Um, uh, you see people organising to defend those places. You know, in 1999 in Allen Gardens, which is right in the downtown east, we put up a defiant three-day encampment. Today, people are living in tents in Allen Gardens on a scale that far exceeds anything that we were able to do in 1999, just as a matter of elemental survival, because there is nowhere else for them to go, because the crisis is so much worse than it was at the turn of the century. And... Um, and, and, and they're going to try and clear that. And there's going to be a struggle around that. And those are the kind of fights. Those are the kind of immediate, practical, vital fights that are going to have to be, uh, going to have to be taken up. And we're going to have to find a way to go on the defensive. Uh, I've seen an estimate that in Toronto there are uh, 65,000 empty condo units. Why don't we have a movement that's strong enough to start taking those places? Why don't we have a movement that's strong enough to start putting families into those places? Uh, if we were able to do that on a scale that was big and powerful enough, we'd have something to bargain with. We'd, have, we'd be in a position to say, OK, you build social housing and you build it now. I mean, I, mean, I, I think there is the possibility of uh, resistance. I, I don't think we can have the perspective that one day we'll have a better society. We've got to start fighting for that society in practical terms right now. John, thanks for speaking today. Thank you so much. That was a conversation with anti-poverty activist and campaigner John Clark. And this has been another edition of Free City Radio. We broadcast weekly on CKUT 90.3 FM on Wednesdays at 11 a.m. CJLO 1690 a.m. on Tuesdays at 1 p.m. CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg at 10.30 p.m. on Tuesdays. CFRC 101.9 FM in Kingston, Ontario at 11.30 a.m. on Wednesdays. And on CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria on Wednesdays at 9 a.m. and Saturdays at 7 a.m. You can find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Just look up Free City Radio. Um, please tell a friend. Our archives are at soundcloud.com slash freecityradio. Thanks for being with us, and I'll be back next week. I'm Stefan Christoph, and take care. <laughs>